Hey, everybody, and welcome to this another emergency podcast of the Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to really pick your brain, Jack, because this week, uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, one of the largest banks, investment banks um, there is, uh, cut 3,000 employees. Um, And, you know, this is kind of seen as the harbinger of oh no, like what's going on in Wall Street? Is this a sign of more to come in terms of the economy? You know, Goldman Sachs, they're, they're often known as the quote unquote smartest people in the room. So, um, you know, you basically live and breathe Wall Street as a recruiter for these firms. Can you kind of give us this context of what's going on? And is this new cycle hype or is there some truth to it? It's a combination. I think there's some, you know, dramatics to it. And because whatever in the media, you have to be above and beyond, right? They can't just say, oh, 3,000 in this, because this is Dave, Demolition Day, referring to David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman. So so right there, when you hear that, you know, all right, this is is theatrics. This is clickbait. This is people looking at it. I mean, is 3,000 a lot? Sure. You know, the people who lost their jobs, is it tough? Absolutely. Do our hearts go out for those people? For sure. Particularly when you see the, you know, people who say, hey, I'm on an H-1B visa and I don't know what to do now. It's horrible. But yeah, it gets so like hyped up and the fear factor, you know, comes in. But I think, Rick, really what it boils down to in part is this. Um, with Wall Street, I think it's very similar to tech in the sense that they aggressively hired because it was free money, basically. You know, the tech community, Wall Street was able to get money at like nothing. So they could, you know, picture that if you or I could go to the Fed window and get a billion dollars and then we could just invest it, right? Think about like, we could do crazy shit. We can go nuts. So what happens is like, let's say Wall Street, you have all this money to trade and to, to hire people and to grow. And it create, we had this, you know, everything goes up thing, uh, just a big bubble. So there's incredible hiring, you know, incredibly money, you know, being spent. And with high inflation now, and with the Fed trying to knock it down and higher interest rates, we have to come back, you know, we're coming back down. We were on this like sugar high for a long time. And now it's coming back to a more reasonable level. And that's really what it boils down to. And if I would write this in a piece, I would get a yawn because that's not sexy. That's not exciting. It's, you know, uh-huh. it's like, oh, okay. But really everything, I think we went to extremes on the high and now it's coming down and then we're, we're bringing it down. Um, and then I think there's another piece of it too, is the same way, in my opinion, when Musk was iterating in real time to see how many people do I really need to work here? And everyone thought he was, a, you know, an asshole for like, you know, you know, you got to be hardcore. If you're not, you know, if you don't want to stay here, get out of here. You got to sleep on the floor, you know, and everyone thought, wow, you're, you're a jerk. But really what I think in part, he was trying to figure out, do I read, do I need 10,000? Do I need 5,000? Do I need 50 to figure it out? And behind the scenes, Tech and Wall Street executives wouldn't admit it, but they're all watching, having their popcorn, thinking, huh, if he gets away with this and 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 let's go 50% of 
the workers or more, and things run perfectly, huh, that means we could probably do the same thing. And if you notice, there's this been contagion, whether it's in tech or Wall Street or even in the media, that once a big brand name starts laying off people and nothing breaks, everyone else copies them. So then it just mm -hmm. becomes a cycle of downsizing, downsizing, downsizing. And I think with Goldman Sachs, when you strip away, you know, the big, like you hit 3,000, but they're a huge global company. You know, that's only a small percentage, really. And this is a way for them to lighten the load and they have cover because they could just say everyone else is doing it. So we're doing it. God, well, so that's an interesting thing, right? So Goldman Sachs, they had about 50,000 employees worldwide before the layoffs, right? So to put it in context, 3,000 on an absolute number is incredible, obviously. But 3,000 out of 50,000 is what, six, seven percent. Um, and I I, I want to like dig in a little deeper while, you know, like peel back the layers of the onion, you know, this is a worldwide bank, right? And so 3000, there might be some offices where it's maybe a hundred or fewer that get laid off, right? Because just so spread out. But also, do you know if there's any specific divisions that are being affected? Like I heard that the consumer bank that Goldman has, they're kind of experiment. You know, they used to only cater to the rich. Uh, now they opened up a consumer bank to be a bit more mainstream. Were, were some of the layoffs really concentrated there, you think? Well, it's across the board, it looks. And okay. the, uh, they had Marcus, which is a fintech company. I think Marcus was from Marcus, uh, you know, one of the founders back like, because they've been around uh, forever, right? Yeah, of course. Um, and so I guess it didn't catch on as they thought it would. But then also you had over the last few years, there have been changes. So like right lately, there haven't been a lot of IPOs. Think about it. That's a big moneymaker. Mm -hmm. You know, when was the last time you heard of this sexy IPO? Oh my God, we got to get in on this IPO. Not in a long time. Uh, you had these SPACs that, that were like hot in 2020 and it just blew up. Um, you know, you, you had, think about it also, when was the last time you heard about this really big M&A activity? Not so much. So like M&A, investment banking, deal-making, IPOs, those are huge money makers. And those really weren't hitting on all cylinders. So in a way, I would have thought they would even be able to let go more people because of what's going on, because all like, you know, they're, they've been hit across the board. I mean, they're still Goldman. They're going to survive. They're going to thrive. They're going to do well. They're like the smartest people in the room. So there's you know, no one has to kind of have a GoFundMe for them. They're going to do fantastic. <laughs> but I, you could see how this plays out. And, and, and historically, Historically, Rick, it's it's always been like that. It's always like these boom and bust, boom and bust, good times, bad times. You know, good times, everything is great. Bad times, oh, it's terrible. And now we're in this weird, it's not terrible time, but they're, you know, because of market conditions, they haven't been doing that well. I, I, I'm glad you bring that up in terms of that kind of boom and bust or that cycle uh, nature, because I think... For most of our listeners, right, like they work in tech and 
tech, I mean, obviously has very similar cycles, but I feel like the industry is a bit more insulated than finance or banking or even other industries. Uh, and, and I say this because, you know, a lot of tech, I, I would say it's almost bifurcated, right? You're either the king of kings with more money than God, you know, near $1 trillion market caps, like cash flow like crazy. You know, I'm thinking about the Googles, the uh, Apples, the Microsoft, where they're printing money. Right. And so they can really survive for quite a long time. And they're often quite well diversified in terms of, you know, which countries they're in and, and obviously the, the lines of businesses, the products, the services that they're creating. Uh, and then on the other side, you kind of have the poppers of the tech industry, these startups. And I mean, to your earlier point, now we're almost in this reset where we have to, you know, Imagine being a business where you have to think about how to be profitable, right? And for some of these startups, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, kick them while they're down or, or, or you know, uh, just poke too much fun at them. But that wasn't necessarily the case because for a lot of these startups, they could raise new capital from venture capitalists and institutions every year and a half two years, right? And you see these like series A and then it becomes a series B and then it's series D, C and D. And, and, and they're often in quite quick succession. And so they could always kick this can in terms of maturing their business, right? Because they had this capital that was so easy flowing that, that gave them that insulation, right? And now we're in reality and you're seeing a lot of these startups, all these layoffs because they thought, oh man, I, I was talent or, oh shoot, like it's been four years, maybe even more. I've burned through tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital. And I'm not close to having a profitable line of business. Right. And I have, you know, for a company, especially a startup, your biggest expense is going to be your employees, right? The benefits, the real estate, the obviously the salaries that you're paying. And now you have to, you find yourself in a position where you have to cut back. And I think it's all starting to come at once. And I think now the tech industry is kind of more in line with what we're seeing with banking and the other industries, right? Where this is actually quite common and it quite you know, you, you have to do what you need to do to uh, have your business survive and make it to the next step, right? I mean, this reckoning. It, you know, it's really, really interesting. And, and I was going to share about Google as a comparison. Google just mints money, right? They're, right. Now, chat GPT, maybe might encroach on them, perhaps. But as of now, they just mint money. Whereas let's say with a bank, whether it's Goldman or Morgan or Deutsche Bank or Credit Suisse, they don't have that because now some years they could have a pipeline of deal flow, of M&A activity, great trading markets, et cetera, and they're, they're killing it. But then you could have times where nothing is working. Whereas it seems to me from the outside, something like Google is just constant, <laughs> just, just ringing in a cash register all the time. So within Wall Street, there, there's just 
not only years, but there could be months of just, just these big ups and downs and ups and downs. So it's, it's not, it's, it's not really that safe. It's not really that secure. You don't know what's going to happen. You have lots of hires, lots of layoffs in between. Uh, I think because we're in this vibe now where it's kind of this white collar recession period that now we're making more of it because, you know, just to take a step back, it's interesting in tough times and potential, you know, recessionary times, usually it's the blue collar workers, the frontline workers, the low wage workers who are the ones who lose their jobs. But lately right. it's very different. Think about it. The tech sector, you know, I think from your, from your statistics, uh, I know you keep track of it. It's like, what? Last I looked, it was like 150,000 last year, you know, lost their jobs. And I think in the first week and a half of January, maybe another 20,000 plus. And to and I think that just shocks people because they're used to, oh, times are tough, but it's not going to affect people at Microsoft. It's going to affect, you know, some blue collar, you know, carpenter or plumber. And so like, I think this is why it's very different, whether it's tech or Wall Street, because now it's the white collar professionals who are losing their jobs. And that's very different. It's a really different vibe that's happening now. And I think in a way that's freaking people out. And maybe that's why to go back earlier when we talk about the headlines, maybe that's why the media is just like, oh my God, this is crazy because they're not used to it. It, it usually doesn't play out this way. I I mean, could this be a recession for the rich? Right? That's we what they're saw... saying. It's a, a rich session. I think a rich I've session, seen that. that really... Seriously, I didn't quite really that. I mean, I, oh, I see that. Wow. A, a rich session is that, you know, the wealthy people, like look at the, uh, Musk, how much did he lose? How much did Mark Zuckerberg right. lose? These guys are losing fortunes, crazy amounts of money with their stock prices plummeting. I mean, this is... The last two, two and a half years, we can call it, have been quite bizarre, right? So the first quarter of 2020, March 2020, is when we had the first cases of COVID-19, right? And we started seeing companies shut down. And that month, March and April, is when we first started seeing companies lay off, right? And to your point, it was these like service workers, these frontline workers, these blue collar workers, right? First, it was obviously travel, right? And then it became food and beverage, dining out, like all these like fun activities that you do that suddenly we can't do because nightlife is shut, um, kind of day to day life is shut. And it was bizarre that in 2020, when you had all of these knowledge workers, folks that work at an office or on a computer, uh, they were untouched. It was mm -hmm. the opposite, right? It was booming. Exactly. Then we go to 2021 and those same blue collar workers, these hourly workers, wage workers, they're still struggling, right? Because lockdown still continued in some states. You know, California was one of the last um, to kind of change their public health policies, right? And in 2021, for the white collar folks, we had the great resignation, <laughs> right? Where there was a glut of jobs. And then we had towards the end of that 2021, it was like talent hoarding, right? Where there was just so many jobs and um, companies were complaining that they couldn't hire fast enough. And we had that into 2022 as well. But now it seems like 
hey, for these white collar folks, they have to kind of feel that the pain of the recession now too, right? It, it's just, they had that delayed gratification, so to speak. And, and obviously I, I, I mean gratification tongue in cheek. These mm-hmm. are pretty dire situations. It's, it's not a happy thing, but it, it, it's such a weird role reversal. Whereas now you start seeing for the hourly folks, they're going back to work. They're getting higher wages, right? It's now it's their turn, which is, it, it's just been an odd economic cycle in these last two years. It, it, it's, and it keeps changing. That's what's wild. It's usually these trends last for a period of time, but it goes, as you just point, as you pointed out so eloquently, it just quickly goes from one to another. You're just lurching back and forth and back and forth. And I think in a way, that's why, at least here in America, I can't speak for other countries, but like, that's why I think we're all crazy because there's, you don't feel there's any stability. You don't know what's going to happen next. What's the next thing? What's the next rug that they're going to pull out from under us? What's the next chaotic thing? So it's hard to relax. And I think everybody's kind of just, you know, their nerves are just, just shattered. I'm glad you mentioned stable instability. So this week we did some research and we found out blind users are seeking out more stable companies. They're literally searching stable stability. They're posting these discussion threads of quote unquote layoff or recession proof companies. And and I I think I'm going to ask you this because I think you're probably well-placed to kind of give a solid answer here is you know, the consensus within blind seems to be that banks and financial service companies are the most stable. They, they keep coming up as the answers in terms of, you know, when everyone asks, oh, what's a stable company or, or, or how can I find some stability in this current job market? Uh, where we're seeing search activity for firms like Bloomberg, Citadel, Capital One, Jane Street, Two Sigma, uh, Hudson, uh, River Trading, climbing the ranks uh, towards the end of 2022, especially as like we, we, we could see like spikes of activity for search activity for um, stable, stability, recession proof, layoff proof. Uh, and it was tied exactly to increasing post frequency and search frequency for these financial services firms. And I mean, with Goldman Sachs this week, uh, today, Beanie Mellon, you know, Bank of New York, Mellon announced layoffs yesterday, BlackRock. Is, is that really the case? Can, can you kind of uh, guide the community here? Absolutely. Actually, I've, I've written about this uh, kind of about a month or two ago. Something I can't remember what, what my titles were, but something to the effect of like boring is the new cool, you know, boring, uh, you know, seek out companies that are boring, they're sexy. And for the reasons you just articulated, because you feel there's like this, this a little safety factor, you know, when you're looking at, you know, if you're at Meta and you see your stock price go down, what, like 60, 70% or a Peloton or one of these companies where you, you, you thought you're going to be really wealthy and all of a sudden, you know, that that's those dreams are destroyed. You're like, what the heck just happened here? Maybe I got to think of something else. So, you know, 
because when things are going up, everyone's a genius, everyone's happy. But when it goes down, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't count on this. This is terrible. You know, this is awful. And in terms of just maybe trying to manage it, and it might be a little bit safer, is that maybe you do go to a big investment bank or a broker dealer, a private equity shop, a trading shop, particularly if you're like a software engineer, software designer, even though they're layoffs, I was looking through this morning because I, I was curious where, and you've seen this too, particularly on LinkedIn, is that when people uh, lose their jobs and it's sad, but it's kind of weird in a way. It's everyone says the same thing like, hey, I got caught up with this layoff, uh, but I was here for five years and I loved it. And thank you, Jack. And thank you, Rick, for making my job there great. It's almost like a hostage video where they're saying it because they feel they have to say it, you know, and say all these nice things, even though inside they're just like, like, you know, so angry. But when I looked at, at you know, on LinkedIn of all these different people, they really weren't software engineers who were being laid off. They weren't software developers. They weren't the tech people. They really didn't get hit. And the ones who were, were really junior. You know, when I say really junior, three months, six months, you know, less a year, under a year. So like, it's not as if when, you know, and I was looking at a lot of them because I'm, 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 I'm kind of a boring person. So this is my excitement. So I was looking at all, you know, all of these people because I'm curious because I figured- Research as a journalist, it's not boring. <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? I want to know what's really going on because, you know, you hear the numbers, right? Then I'm curious, like, okay, who are these people who actually right. are getting laid off? So I figured the best way to go is on LinkedIn because that's like the go-to place to post when, hey, I got laid off and help me right. get a new job. So then I look at it. And a lot of them are, you know, kind of junior. So they probably figure, hey, this person could get a job elsewhere doing something else different. Um, and it's not like the 10-year software engineer. It's not the 15-year, you know, software developer or chief technology officer. So to circle back to your question, yeah, yeah. if you have those tech skills, they're in huge demand because Wall Street isn't like it used to be. We still think of Wall Street like this, 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 you know, macho boys club trading floor, you know, you know, eating too much, drinking too much, going crazy. But now it's all tech. It's all it's all computer driven. It's all AI driven. It's all technology driven. It's it's almost like a video games. If you step floor, step on the floor of like these trading rooms, it's not like it used to be. You ever see a trading places? The movie with Eddie well, Murphy, yeah, where where they're on it's the floor, all the people shouting, shouting, they're, they're raising their hands, or on the you see them, you know, like their their head to their shoulder with the phone in between. Right now, you go and it's freaky. If you go to some of these trading floors, it's like pin drop quiet. You know, everyone's wearing their you know khakis and their blue and white shirt, and it's like playing video game. They're just. Doo, doo, doo. You know, they're like, boop, 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 boop. you know, just that's it. Or, or they're just watching the algos, you know, do it, you know, learning the news and trading on the news. I think I want to say, and I, I don't know the numbers on this. I would say guesstimate about 70 plus percent of the trading is all like artificial intelligence generated. It's not like old school humans buy this, sell this, buy this, right. you know, with the phones, buy, sell. It's different. So for tech people, I think I think it's a really interesting place to look at. 
and it's cool stuff. And it's, it's a reprieve from doing, you know, you know, what you were doing in the tech side to get involved with the whole of the world. And that tech is just going to be keep growing. I think within the wall street area and the hedge funds, like for instance, you may mention Citadel, man, they killed it this year. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how many billions they made. Right. And a lot of it is, you know, trading and a lot of it is using technology to trade. Uh, Jane Street, you talked about, a lot of these firms rely on tech, you know, Renaissance Capital, like one of, the, one of the most successful hedge funds out in Long Island, actually, you know, all, all like, you know, traders, you know, really brilliant, you know, scientific minds. I, I wonder if like what what you're willing to give up and what might be like kind of secret sauce or like, you know, backroom industry secrets, but can you walk us through for those who aren't familiar with what a banking interview process might look like? Um, what's involved? Because I mean, typically with a tech interview process, you have kind of like the typical phone screen with a recruiter or the hiring manager. Uh, then next, there's often kind of this like homework assignment or a technical challenge uh, where you're actually, you know, doing these problems sometimes online or, um, you know, in person. And then you kind of have the on-site interview and, that, and that's kind of the archetypal tech interview. What, what's a archetypal banking financial services interview look like? It, much different, completely okay. different. Um, and and I, in full disclosure, I should kind of put that out, put this out there too. When I first yep. started recruiting, Goldman Sachs was one of my first one of my first group of clients, and you know they have a great reputation now. But 15, 20 years ago, they had like tremendous, like that was it. They were they were they were they were it. That was like the the go to. That would the be like Google the Google Apple wrapped around together. Okay. You know. And, and I somehow, I don't remember how I got, you know, had them as a client and I had a great relationship with the folks there. And this is more for compliance, legal risk audit. So not tech that space placed lots of people there. And let's just take, and I, I haven't, and what happens too with recruiting, same thing. It's like ups and downs changes. You, you have a great relationship with a firm then you don't, and then you have a relationship with another firm and so on. So I haven't really placed people there in a while, but if it's like it was, you know, you know, five years ago ish, whatever, um, it's the interview cycle is long, very long, wow. and not not just for Goldman. Let's just just say an average. Whether you want to go to Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, you need to be prepared for interviews that could go on for months, um, wow. and you're gonna. It's a very consensus driven interview process where you'll meet with your boss, you meet with a your prospective boss, you'll meet with your HR person, you'll meet with people on the team, you'll meet with your manager's manager, your manager's manager's manager, your manager's manager's manager, you meet with you know, people tangentially related to it. So oh, it's wow. very, you could expect, you know, a month, three months, four months of interviews, you know, maybe five, 10 different interviews over time. And then between There'll be gaps in communication. You won't hear back. You think you'll be ghosted. So now to be fair, tech might be different than your typical Wall Street, you know, type of person who's getting a job. Sure. Uh, it could be because 
they, they need those people more so maybe than others that they would fast track it a little bit more. But I would say to be prepared for more of um, just, just them trying to get a sense of who you are, what you're about, then going to someone else, they have to feel you out. So it's a very long, cumbersome process for the most part. And I know I'm not selling it by saying that, but I just want to match expectations so that if someone goes through it, they don't think like, why are they doing this to me? Is like something wrong. They don't like me. That's why they keep doing it. It just, it, within Wall Street, just the cycle takes longer. Got it. I, I mean, that that's good kind of kind of a, a, a contrast, right? I, I, I'm curious now, you know, some companies within the tech industry, they have their kind of interview quirks, right? So Amazon famously focuses on its company's leadership uh, principles, right? And uh, they have what's called the STAR method that they recommend their candidates answer the questions, right? Identify the situation, um, you know, going through the analysis, the the the, the results, right? And, and going through that process, is, is there a similar kind of tip or a trick or a format or kind of interview quirk that's quite common in the banking or uh, finance sector? A while back, it used to be, you know, they'd ask these brain teaser questions okay. and things like that, but not anymore. It's more about, you know, they want to get to know you as a person. They want to understand you know, what you do. They want to make sure that you have the skills, the background, the experience for the role. Um, and then even though it takes, uh, the way I presented it made it sound, ugh, it goes forever, but actually it's kind of healthy. So for a recruiter, it's frustrating because you want to play someone quickly so you get your fee and say, yay, this is great. Right, move on <laughs> and to and the next on. one. Right? But in a way it, it is helpful to have a somewhat longer period of time and more people to interview with, because then you get to judge what's the, what it's like over there. Because if you only meet one or two people, you may love those one or two people, then you accept the job and then you start working there and you're like, oh my God, I'm working with the, I hate these people, they suck, they're terrible, but you never met them, so you didn't know. <laughs> so over time, if you do have interviews, you know, scattered over a period of time, you could get a good vibe check of who's Rick, who's Jack, do I get along? Now that, you know, things have opened up and you go back in the office and you could have in-person interviews, you know, you can get a sense of like when you, in the halls, do they look stressed out? Are they happy? Do they look miserable? Do they look angry? You know, how are the receptionists when you come into the floor? Are they hospitable? So I've, even though selfishly for me, it's always better get a quick interview process so they get hired because I'm a recruiter, I want to get it done. But for the individual, you're probably better off because then you can make a more intelligent decision. Then you can really say, hey, I've met five, six, seven, eight people. I've seen a lot of people there. You know what? I feel comfortable. This seems like a place I could build a home. And if you only have a couple of interviews and they're just kind of that star interview and they're very forced and it's not really trying to drill down to find out who you are and can you relate, you may end up taking a job, whether it's tech or anything else, and just regretting it because you really didn't get a sense of the corporate culture, how people are like, 
you know, the people you get to interact with, who are they? Does that make sense? Is that? No, it does. I mean, basically you're, you're interviewing the firm as well, right? Exactly. Yes. Business units or teams that you're meeting with. And, and and I think that that's really interesting. and, And that's a good note for the blind community to understand, right? Because oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of frustration with large companies like Google. They have this process called team matching. And so you have a candidate that's gone through the interview process and at large companies like Google, um, you know, maybe there's fewer steps in finance, but they can also take quite a long bit of time in terms of like days of the week or, or even months. Um, but there's this period called team matching where you're actually like past the interview step. And now you're just waiting for a team that basically will say, Hey, I, I, I want Rick. Uh, and it because you could be waiting because you have a certain like specialty that maybe other teams don't particularly use. You know, you could be waiting for an, an initiative or a new product line or, or something similar um, that's about to launch, right? And they they just don't have a need for your particular skill set yet. But it it seems like in banking you have a very similar kind of more immediate version of team matching in which you know during the interview process if it's a match or uh, if, if there's a right fit. And, and you're also evaluating them. Whereas at, at Google and some of these large companies, you're kind of just sitting around kind of twirling your thumbs and saying, that's hey, so, don't forget about me. That's up to me for the outside. And I've heard that before. It's, it's kind of awkward. When you're sitting around, do you go and interview somewhere else? Do you wait and right. hope? What do you do? I mean, because that that's that's the that's the, that's the challenge, thing. I guess, right? That's like yeah, what do you exactly. So you're you're waiting for like one, if there's an open match, and then two, if there's that like literally a match of your your skill set or interest. Um and, and sometimes you actually have to like do more many interviews with each of these new teams uh, to, to, to be able to like find that kind of um, actual pairing to actually get placed with your, your butt in the seat before you can actually, you know, start. Um, it's like a tease, like, okay, we like you, but we just got to find the place for you. Oh, great. Tomorrow. No, next no, week, maybe. Next month, <laughs> next, next month, two maybe. months. Right. <sighs> So I, I love, I, I, I really appreciate you breaking down kind of what that process is like. Jack, do you have any other kind of like insider tips or advice for someone that's like thinking about applying to work at, in Wall Street or, or in finance um, for the first time? Sure. So no particular order of what to do. What one of okay. the to just kind of do some homework so you familiarize yourself with who the players, the company. Uh, I would just get the Wall Street Journal and read the Wall Street Journal on uh, Saturdays or Sundays, Barron's comes out or just subscribe online. So this way you have a feel. Watch CNBC, watch Bloomberg. Uh, uh, Bloomberg, I think, is a little better to get a sense of like overall what's happening, you know, with Wall Street, with investing. CNBC is more like, Buy this stock, sell this stock, right. buy this. So 
I mean, that's just to get a feel. So I would immerse yourself first just to get a, a feel for the culture, you know, what they're talking about, the lingo. So then when you interview, you already understand. So for instance, when I first started speaking with Rick and talking and, uh, and having a podcast, you know, about, you know, blind and technology. I didn't know that much. So I immersed myself, you know, I kept, you know, I did everything I could to read and understand because they would say, you know, stack ranking. I'm thinking like, what is stack ranking? I've never heard of it. Pips. I'm like pips, what's a pip? You know, so, you know, you, you know, it takes a little while just to, to kind of get, you know, the, just, just the language down and understand the acronyms and the jargon. So do a little homework. Then this, this holds true, whether it's Wall Street or anything else. I think a couple of things that you need to do is this. Um, one, it's always great if you can get somebody at the company to make a recommendation and, and introduction for you. You know, could you send a resume, fill out an application, goes into the ATS system? Yes. Right. Um, however, if let's say Rick is working for EBC, um, whatever company, and I say to you, Rick, can you do me a favor? Here's my resume. I applied online, but can you bring it to the HR person, to the hiring manager and put in a good word for me? That goes a long way. So I would say you want to tap into your network and you want to find somebody who either A, works at the company or B, someone you know who knows someone who works at the company so they could almost cut in line. And by cutting line, they get that resume and put in a good recommendation. So now think about it. If you're an HR person and you're inundated with resumes, like, I, you know, you're looking through it. I, I, they all look the same. But if you have somebody who says, hey, Rick's a great guy. He's awesome. You need to hire him. The logical thing to do is like, all right, let, let's, you know, let's meet Rick. <laughs> you know? It's just easier. You know, rather than going through all these, let, let's start with him. So you have a big competitive edge. So, so to do that, I would make sure, tap your network. And you can't be shy in markets like this that are a little tougher. People you went to college with, people you grew up with, family, friends, neighbors, hit them up. Hey, wh what do you know? Who do you know? Can you make an introduction? It's not easy to do at first, but if you do it, it makes it smooths it. So I think that's one of the key things to just get your foot in that door. I mean, can, can I blow your mind, Jack? Yeah. Or, or maybe you already know about this. Um, so, you know, I've had to manage and hire for a team of PR professionals. And mm -hmm. the thing about PR is there's just so many flavors of PR. And so whenever I have like a entry or mid-level role, like an associate or, or manager or even senior manager role, I literally get hundreds of resumes a day. And it's one of those things as a hiring manager where, you know, I'm busy and I might look at these resumes and applications usually towards the end of my day or even in the evenings. And I think I'm making a good dent, right? Like I have maybe like, let's say 300 applications in my backlog, right? And I get through a hundred and I call it a day. And what ends up happening is I get th 300 more the next day, right? And you're just like, holy crap. Like I actually didn't get anywhere, right? I, I just lost all my progress and I'm actually 
behind. Uh, but one thing that I've noticed is a lot of these ATS um, uh, programs, and for those that don't know, ATS is the, the applicant tracking system. So um, the, the, the software that actually, you know, has the job board and, and, and collects your resume and collects your application, uh, you know, Lever, Greenhouse, all of these that um, tech companies often use. What I've noticed going through is if there's an employee referral and a lot of these ATSs, they actually show up in bright red and it says referred by Jack Kelly. And there's a tag when I'm looking at all of these names uh, from, you know, kind of the, the, the starting view before I even like click through a, a person to see their profile. There's red flags next to uh, certain names because it's employee referral. And, you know, when I have hundreds or that's even another great point. Yes. The employee referral internal. I'm going to start there, right? Because it's, it's, instead of looking at a thousand, I just maybe look at two, three or four. And the best thing is you can go on blind and um, you can ask for these referrals, right? And you can reach out, send a direct message to people that, uh, you know, because you can see exactly where they work. You can say, hey, what is it like at Goldman? And I saw this job app, uh, job opening. Is it still hiring? And do you know the hiring manager or can you refer me? And then you could take advantage of those special flags. And, you know, as a as a busy hiring manager, it, it's the first thing that I look at because it's it's easier. It's almost like pre-vetted and... Obviously, there's there's fewer competition because uh, there's fewer names that I actually look at. That's brilliant. I mean, that that's so spot on, and it makes such a difference. It's a game changer. It, it makes it's it's so different between you know someone sitting at home saying, "What's wrong? How could like did did my right. boss badmouth me? Is there a black cloud over my head? How come I'm not getting through?" As opposed to someone who just like. Gets right in, and that's why they got that they got that hook. They got someone to 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 stand up for them. And if before we go, I just want to kind of circle back one thing because you know I was Please. thinking about it, calling it a white collar recession. I don't want to freak people out. You know, right. on LinkedIn, on on Blind, and other social media sites, it's people are concerned, people are really worried, people are frightened, and and understandably so. For what it's worth. You know, I've I've been recruiting for, you know, heading up a search firm for 25 years. So I've seen the ups and the downs. Before that, you know, I worked on Wall Street. So I've kind of seen how these things play out. Um, this might be a contrarian take, but I, I think we're gonna get through this. And I think everything's I think we're gonna do well. I think we're gonna do fine. Um, because nothing really broke, you know, during the financial crisis. Um things broke. It was a mess. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a pandemic. It was horrible. Um, here, it's just, we let inflation get really out of hand. And, um, you know, you could fault, you know, whatever you want for, for just letting go, but put that aside. It seems like it's coming down. And with interest rates rising, people are freaking out because if you weren't in the market or paid attention to the stock market, you know, before 2008, before the financial crisis. And if all you did is watch from the financial crisis onwards, you know, everything went up. So you don't really have a historical thing, but historically 
you would have relatively lot higher interest rates than we do now. Now, like for, you know, we were having like zero, you know, you go to the bank, it's, you get paid zero, 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 you know, point zero, zero, one. So, so it, things are going back to kind of a normal where it should have been. So it seems like what they're, what's going to happen is we're going to kind of go back to what should be without the Fed and the government artificially manipulating everything and go back to market forces. And that might be the best thing because this way you get the government, the Fed out of your hair, let it just go as it should. And we can come back to some sort of new normal. And I think that's going to be positive. It might take a while, but it's not, like I said, it's not like something irrevocably was broken and that's it. We're effed and nothing is going to change. I think it's just a rough patch that we get through it and then we will get through it. And I think for a lot of people, right. Short term, yeah, it sucks dealing with this. Worried, I, 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 you know, I get it. If you're thinking, oh my God, they're going to call my HR person's going to call me in for a talk. What's going to happen? It's, right. it's bad. But I think we're going to get through this, and I think it's going to be a little better than we thought. Could it be a mild recession? Sure. But I think medium, long term, we'll get out of this. The stock market will go back up. Your, you know, your your stock prices will do better if you if you hold you know stock from your company. Um, and I think there are going to be more opportunities. It's just right now it became this weird domino effect, this weird contagion effect, where all you need is the big names saying, "Hey, we're laying off," and everyone else said, "Hey, we could lay off too." And this, right. to me, in my own opinion, it gave. It gave an excuse for companies just to let go of people that they wanted to, but they were scared to do before. They were afraid that if they let go of all these people, they'd be, you know, sued for discrimination or sued for ageism, thisism, thatism. So it gave them carte blanche. Hey, we could just, you know, we made a mistake of hiring too aggressively, and now we can kind of, you know, you know, let them go without any repercussions. And I think that'll happen, but it'll bottom out, and then we'll get back to some sort of normalcy. I, I, I want to kind of echo what you said, Jack, is, you know, we're getting to a point where things are becoming a bit more normal in terms of the business cycle. Um, there are still a lot of great opportunities out there, whether that's in the banking industry, tech industry, or elsewhere. Um, and there's still a lot of these like useful, easy things to do, these tactics that you can really take advantage of like getting a referral and doing a lot of the research about the industry and being the most knowledgeable person when you are in these interviews um, and coming out the other side and, and, and getting through this and even succeeding. You, you, you know, this layoff or these events, um, I, I find oftentimes you come out stronger. And, and so I, I think that's a good reminder for all of us listening. So thank you, Jack, for Excellent. sharing your expertise. Thanks. And if you enjoyed this episode of The Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly, uh, please do rate us on the podcast network that you're listening in. Give us five stars, give us your review, and definitely subscribe. Thanks so much, everybody.